Welcome back to Beyond Classified. I'm Chris Matthew. Today our guest is Monica Perez. She is co-host of the Propaganda Report podcast, which brings listeners not only fascinating interviews with principled thought leaders, but also the Drive Time News Blast, a daily show delivering news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. She was also a radio host for eight and a half years on WSB Radio in Atlanta, and prior to that was an investment banker in New York and Texas. She is also a chartered financial analyst as well as a member of the Bar of the State of New York. Monica, welcome. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, Co-hosting with us is Corey Hughes. Corey, how are you? Excellent. Thank you. Like I said, it's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this. I love what you and Brad were doing over at the the Propaganda Report. You guys are definitely supplying one of my regular sources of information on the latest agendas and the propaganda fueling it. Um, We've got a lot to talk about. Like I was telling you before, it's long overdue that we've had you guys on. Uh, You guys are killing it in what you're doing. Uh, This is your first time on, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about your background and what led you to do the podcast podcasts. Okay, sure. Thank you. Uh, I was not really a broadcaster. I hated watching the news. I couldn't stand even watching the State of the Union addresses. I hate I hated politics. I was basically born a hardcore libertarian. And over the years, it only got worse. And I started thinking even limited government, I guess I was a minarchist by birth, <laughs> even limited government wasn't going to do it for me. And it was a utopian fantasy to think that you could have a monopoly government and not have it abuse its power. And I started to give up hope. And then I discovered Hans Hermann Hoppe and I was like, wow, so government is impossible, but it's also not necessary. So I was kind of excited about that. And I was a banker. I was going to go back into banking after, you know, my kids were up, which was probably an unrealistic expectation, but that's what I thought. And I ran into a radio producer who just would never heard these ideas before. She put me on the air and I ended up having a weekend radio show for eight and a half years. And I felt like I brought something different because I was more analytical and I I wasn't really interested in the news. It's it was like the standard for me had to be pretty high for me to actually believe it. And I started because I was on the air and it was a call-in show. I started to have to really dig into stories because I didn't just regurgitate what was in the Wall Street Journal or Fox. It was a conservative station. And man, I mean, the, the scales fell off my eyes through that process, which you would think like I was interested in truthiness or whatever and got into it. No, it was the opposite. I don't even want, I wish I could glue them back on my eyes sometimes. And then I knew they were changing control at that station. And I worried a little bit about that because it was a big station and a very long-term plan to kind of go to prime time. And I started with my co with my producer on that show. Now my co-host on the podcast, Brad Binkley, we just started doing a daily show. Like I'd been basically being trained for that for the longest time. And then, so we do a daily show, which is news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. That's the drive time news blast. I'm probably gonna have to slow down on that. And, uh, but I did kind of spin off a little one-off thing that I do every day called deep dives. And I'll just take one topic. Like this week I did Sweden and Finland joining NATO. And then the day before that was the fentanyl overdose epidemic and all that. So I'll just take one story every day and just dig into that. But you can find all of it on the Propaganda Report feed in your favorite podcasting platform. And we're also on Rockfin like you are, rockfin.com slash Propaganda Report, which is 
for sure my favorite platform. I mean, you really, you get so much bang for the buck. Right. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, let's start with it's since this is also your first time on one of the big uh, deals and the big agendas that's been around since 2020 is, of course, COVID, which led to the whole vaccine issue. And now we're completely switched to something else. We're in the Ukraine and Russia and moving on to different agendas after agendas. Now, at the beginning of 2000, I mean, uh, 2020, end of 2019, when we first started seeing the high strangeness COVID, which has now opened the eyes of millions of people. Did you think that this would turn into what it has kind of turned into when it comes to this awakening that it's caused in people? I did not anticipate that. And I'm still trying to really make sense of, of how that fits into the plan. Because when you look at the, they, what they do, and I'm sure that you're well-versed in a lot of this stuff. What they do is they do scenarios. So like the Rockefeller Foundation in 2010 did a four-quadrant scenario analysis of how to impart, how to keep technology moving in the world, progressing, even if social and political structures morph. And they had a hack attack. They had lockstep. They had you know, things that were pandemic. And I think it was they weren't all pandemics, but there were different crises that ushered in different changes, like a stronger national governments, weaker national governments, um, more coordination, faster communication, breakdown of that kind of communication infrastructure. And in each case, they are ready. They tell you how they can achieve their goals and they are ready. And then I noticed that they drill down. So there's the 2017 SPARS document from Johns Hopkins website is really it's the propaganda script for what's happening now to the point where they have like 25 different things, but they include what if a celebrity is vaccine injured and, and they go through like they, it's like beyond C or, you know, like it's like really almost the same names and everything as people who they can count on people who they can't, what happens when a president supports a therapeutic does the other party reject it? And uh, another thing was what happens if there's a giant blackout when we're trying to roll out vaccines? I mean, it was totally straight out of Texas from that year. But that was one of those four scenarios, I think more or less, they kind of narrowed down their scenario. And then they had event 201, which was like very much what, what we're going through now came out October, 2019. So they know there's gonna be some resistance. They, they know there are gonna be some wild cards. I think the rule of thumb has always been 20% of the people are just never going to fall for what you're selling. They're never, ever going to buy what you're selling. Seems to me it's more like a third, you know, 35 or 40% now, if you really looked at who's gotten to two shots. And I think if you also look at how they do psychological operations, they, they roll them out in phases and then they reassess after each phase. They can actually, I remember this with Edward Snowden, like his backstory changed a little bit, like his parental story came out somewhat and things would change. They can actually rewrite the history and people don't even notice it. And then they and then they they decide whether it has more legs, like can they get more out of this psyop or do they have to pull it back? And I feel like they're in constant motion and reacting to that. And in this case, I go back and forth between saying, I was shocked at how many people really fell for it. I really expected the old people to have some wisdom here and they didn't. They were, I just, I'm really sad for the old people because they've clearly lost their souls 
and they are not prepared <laughs> for death because they were freaked. And I was hoping that they would give us the wisdom. So I was surprised at how dramatic the reception was. And maybe because I had relocated to LA, like I just wasn't prepared for this kind of lockstep. But uh, but on the other hand, to have like 35 or 40 percent of the people who you could now say vaccines are, um, you know, a, a big pharma plot that has no liability and uh, um, is a way to get medicine to well people, which is a seven billion person market. And, and a lot of people are receptive to that now. The last thing I will say, um, I have a talker. The last thing I will say is that the that that what I really worry about the absolute most, and I, my little phrase for what you're talking about is that the, the remnants has become self-aware. But what I'm really worried about is that they will, if it's a large enough body people, 35, 40%, that's when you start getting Q and MAGA and stuff at, to like, I, I even if some people thought Ron Paul was limited hangout. I mean, that's my kind of limited hangout. Like I will take that all day long. And I, I just... You know that we're in a very good place if that's if that's their compromised position, if they feel like they have to give us that. But they took that energy and they transferred it into the Trump thing, which was a cult of personality, it did not have the ideology. It did not have that level of discernment. Then they were led people who I thought were ready to really be awake. All of a sudden are telling me about 60,000 indictments coming down. Trust the plan. Drain the swamp. You can't have a sitting president enforce a coup. He is the president. There is no coup coming. This is what you're getting. So I'm afraid that they take that energy and they are really good at psychology in a way that they have not explained to us before and that we're not really aware of and that they can redirect that energy into something that they can use against us, like creating a civil war that will tear down the Constitution or something. So I've, I'm always a little too maybe skeptical. I, I, I'm not black-pilled, but I don't think that we're getting ahead of them quite yet. Well, I, I, I do have hopes with the uh, just amount of people in my own circle that have come around. But you're right. You're right on with the old people. Like my parents are, were terrified, like terrified to death when this thing came out. And it's they don't even let people in their house if they're not vaccinated anymore. It's, it's quite ridiculous. Uh, it seems like they spent way too much time and money and effort on this whole COVID and vaccine things for it to just fizzle out now. I mean, do you think we're going to see a, a comeback maybe in the fall of anything uh, surrounding the COVID nature? I'm terrible at making those kind of really specific tactical scene by scene predictions. I understand what the ending of the play is, but I don't always, I think they have better writers than I can envision. They are creative. They do imagine in a way that I just don't. But if I were to tell you, my gut is I actually don't think that, I just don't think that there, there people would at this point do another lockdown. I think I, I'm starting to think that although people do believe the media, they still quote, trust the science for the most part, they are not complete and utter morons like people are running businesses and stuff these vax heads are running businesses and they're seeing that their employees aren't really sick nobody's in the hospital unless the powers that be are going to just spray something totally new and layer it on top and call it another covid because i thought maybe that's what they were doing with the delta because it doesn't make it didn't make sense for people to get sicker in the second round and then i realized that actually 
they, 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 the alpha thing, the first year, 2020, really, there wasn't much to it. I, I wasn't even sure it existed. And then Delta, where people, everybody started getting sick. I remember when it started, I was like, oh, this thing is real. And it was right when they rolled out the vaccine. So their method of delivery was the vaccines that got, gave us that higher level bioweapon, I think. And that, that, that then, uh, I think it was contagious, the vaccines. I mean, that's not an unheard of thing to have people be able to get sick from right. someone who's vaccinated. So I feel like they did actually roll out a, another level of the bioweapon. And I just, I don't think they're going to be able to do that again. And I think that we're strong enough, resilient enough, but I think they're taking all of those tools that they developed, all of the, the, the tests they ran on society, all of the acceptance of, well, when in doubt, just stay home and zoom when in doubt, if there's an oil crisis or energy crisis or a weather crisis or uh, a war or an embargo or a shortage, stay home, zoom, you know, like, uh, so I feel like there it's this COVID Ukraine climate change continuum that's going to just use all those tools. And I really am committed to the analogy because I keep trying to look back in history and someone is going to have to crack the code on this. I'm trying, but I'm not sure I understand the patterns of history. I'm a little bit of a dilettante and learning different things at different times, but people really have a big picture of history, may be able to crack the code. But for me, I can take the last hundred years and look at the two world wars and say, they followed a very specific pattern, which was gin up the war, prolong the war, have cultural, economic, political, social change, world order change, waiting for the end of the war, beat people down for long enough that they will accept it. You know you're going to have a remnant. You're going to have to kill them or marginalize them or impoverish them or tolerate them uh, for the long plan. And I feel like this COVID thing is most likely, if I had to guess, going to follow that pattern. So we're going to have these changes. But on the other hand, you know, the, the remnant will endure. And I think the battle, so my white pill is that they don't, they, big T, they don't really appreciate that we have souls. They really don't understand the true nature of humanity. They understand psychology. They understand crowd behavior. But I think they don't understand. It's like, I use this analogy that my son, I have a son who has Down syndrome. And the way they eradicate Down syndrome, like in Iceland and stuff, is they just abort them all. They do a test and they abort them all. But Down syndrome isn't hereditary. You can't kill it. Like it won't be gone. It, it emerges. It's just a natural thing that just emerges in the human genes every once in a while. So if you stop killing, you have to kill every damn one of them to get rid of it completely. And I don't think you can do that with hum human beings free. I always think liberty is like that. You just, it's part of us and they don't want to admit it maybe because they're missing that. And that's what makes them so good at what they do because they're psychopaths, but we're not. And I feel like a lot of us will ultimately be willing to die or sacrifice or best yet, just not let them frame how we think of the world. On. Uh, Corey, anything about uh, COVID before we move on from this uh, area? Yeah. So I also do a, a podcast called Understanding Propaganda, but it's mostly a history show where I go back through Goebbels and I go back through the old OSS documents and then I do a comparison to what's going on today. And the one thing that I have learned is that they are still running off the same playbook. 
the and I've kind of concluded that the mind absorbs information really. And I mean, we have different forms of media, but the brain absorbs information only one way. They've learned how to inject their um, propaganda into the uh, you know the absorption process, right? But it doesn't ever change because the human mind hasn't changed in how we process information, so they can't really vary from the script. And so when you go back and you start to study the OSS in particular, like that is like the birth of our um, propaganda mechanism and intelligence in this country. And before that, it was like the political warfare executive in, in Britain. But really, the Russians had to jump on propaganda uh, going back to like the, the teens and the 20s. Um, but yeah, so the, the way that um, I see it is that the problem with COVID is that we've been exposed to these operations for so long. Uh, but they were never overly intrusive or personal. But once they crossed that line with COVID, people started to realize that this is the same old, same old that we've been getting about everything, you know, going back to World War One, right? The, the, the study of World War One propaganda is fascinating because it wasn't really organized. They didn't really come together with their systems yet. Um, it wasn't until World War II that they really ironed out all of the propaganda mechanisms that we're seeing today. But yeah, they, they don't really change that much. Uh, on your show, do you cover any history or anything along those lines, like the history of propaganda? Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to start doing deep dives is the way our show works. And my partner, Brad, he does. He loves World War One propaganda. He does refer to a lot of those old documents. But because our show is basically 10 headlines from the day every day, we don't get that deep into it, but we do do deep dives on Rockfin, which used to have a little more of that. And now it just has morphed into taking clips from the CFR, from Brookings Institute, from the World Economic Forum, Chatham House in real time as they plot these these, you know, how to how to curate a narrative, how to infiltrate a foreign society, how to you know, enhance dysfunctional subcultures. I mean, it's really mind blowing. But that historical stuff is super important. And I actually am wondering now if maybe you're the guy, because when I look back, that's why I looked at the wars, because I agree with you that they're they are always following the same script. And I thought they were being lazy. But you bring up such an interesting point that the fact is that we only, they, they've been trying to change the nature of man since the beginning. And I've always like, they're never going to change the nature of man. So, but you're right. What they're doing is adapting to it. And maybe we'll just naturally become accustomed to the, to the, that method that they use. And if there isn't another method, perhaps we're getting inoculated to it. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I, that's why I launched my show in the first place, because every single thing that we're being told across the board is propaganda. And I kept seeing the same exact patterns of propaganda. And really, um, it, the, the best propagandist ever was Goebbels. And when you go back to Goebbels' principles of propaganda and you read through it, you're like, oh, my God, this is everything. This covers everything. And then from there, uh, the OSS and the, particularly the doctrine regarding rumors and uh, some of the early other doctrines, like the doctrine of terror propaganda, um, all these things you can kind of tell were based off of Goebbels and he kind of, his studies were original, right? So uh, he, he got his studies basically from reading psychology books and this and that. So yeah, studying Goebbels is the best uh, in as far as understanding what's going on today. But then you see the OSS, they took it to a whole new level. Like the World War II propaganda, particularly in the West, um, not that Hitler wasn't a bad guy, of course he was, they're all bad guys in war. But the when you look at the propaganda surrounding Hitler, like, they used to say that he used to like to have fat women shit on him, right? Like that is totally false. 
but of it was course. it was well understood as part of their propaganda mechanisms, you know. Oh, and they had Trump get Pete have those right. suits. Pete, there's it's identical. There's no chance of that because Trump was a germaphobe and a cheapskate. He's not paying for sex unless they're marrying him. And even then, I'm sure he's getting a bargain and he wouldn't st- get near Russian whores pee if you paid him. Not a chance in the world. I was actually I'm from New York and I lived right near the Trump International or whatever. I, I don't even know if it's still a Columbus Circle. And I was behind him at a convenience store once. He's very tall and uh, he had like goons and he wouldn't touch anything. He was like pointing to potato chips and all that. And I hear that's what he how he used to get women, too. Or maybe that was Clinton. But uh, yes, so I witnessed firsthand what I think was evidence of his germophobia. And it's funny that that. Yeah, that's what they say. But that people will believe anything. And, and that's what shocks me. So what I do, even with stuff like the moon landing, people say, well, why don't you believe in the moon landing? And I only have one question for them. Why do you believe in the moon landing? And there's only one answer. I saw it on TV. <laughs> That's the only it, answer. It's funny you mentioned the moon landing because the last couple of months, I kind of dove into it a little bit. It didn't take really long to figure out it was bunk because the bottom line is you get outside of this protective bubble around the earth and the radiation would cook us in like 10 seconds. That's it. Like you don't need any other reasons to explain to people why we didn't go to the moon because we can't. You'll never see it happen in our lifetime. Your kids will never see it happen in their lifetime. It's just not possible. And actually. I don't know how to verify the Van Halen radiation belt, so I can't be sure that's true. I do, but I kind of wrote it off when the Werner von Braun, was that his name? The like artichoke guy, Mm. the German rocket scientist who came over to the United States and works for our government. And I believe he was an actual Nazi or whatever works for the Nazis. And he said, I'm not working on the moon project because the math doesn't work with the present fuel that we have. You can't have enough fuel to get off the earth, which in some strange, elegant way kind of has to be true. It's almost like conservation of energy. Like you can't actually, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like an abomination against nature. So you take all that fuel and you just couldn't get there and back. But the way I explained it to my husband was this, because he's pretty normie. And I said, so you're telling me a bunch of guys got into a rocket ship. They shot up to the moon that like floated around the moon. They jumped off. They walked around on the earth and then they had a little rocket ship on the moon that shot them back up into the original rocket ship. Is that the story? And then that rocket ship came back. That's what you're telling me. And we lost the pictures and they didn't take any pictures of the stars, which is the only fucking reason to do it in the first place is to go and have some perspective. The first time you're in a different on a different orb in the universe and you don't think of getting a data point. Uh, You know what I mean? Like just um, navigationally, the value of a third dimensional data point is mind boggling. And you could do that by seeing the perspective of the stars, but they forgot to take a or they couldn't figure out how to take a picture of the stars like that's the story. those it's so preposterous on its face that's why i feel like i don't even I, people need to explain to me why they would believe that ridiculous story what did it for me was the scotch tape on the limb like i'm looking at it going that's scotch tape the what, the, what the fuck the shadows massimo matsuko made a documentary called american moon oh we saw it it was great yes with all the because he was a fashion photographer and all his italian friends were photographers and they would get together and like well there are obviously that studio lighting 
unless there are two suns and they're basically six feet off the ground, that's those are shadows. And and it was very convincing. I found that 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 really was the clincher for me. Yeah, man. Everything, everything is a stage. Everything is a deception. I want to get back to the the trifecta of agendas that we had going on, COVID, Ukraine, and climate change. I'm totally expecting climate change to be one of the next big things. Uh, I think that they're trying to really hurt everybody into smart cities and somehow get a uh, a global, like, uh, power grid uh, centralized going so where they can control, you know, our power and what's going on. The climate changes it has changed since the beginning of time that's what it does we've had multiple cataclysms that probably wiped out humanity uh many times over throughout our history so this is nothing new but they're using it as yet another agenda to pump fear into us and keep us in line with the with this new world order that they that they're hoping for right yes and i think that there's a couple of elements there that there's the destruction, they're literally destroying the planet, making it difficult for us to sustain ourselves, that fossil fuels are such a way to have like this um, localized energy. You can have a, you, you can, you can drive a car around, you know, it's amazing the power of a human being when they can access this like almost limitless source of energy. And then they're also, so that's the second thing of it. And then the, they're also squirting those chemtrails everywhere, which I think is responsible for what you see, what, what people are perceiving as climate change. That could be in itself enough of an excuse for them to do that, to, to be able to create droughts, to be able to be, create fire conditions, to be able to uh, uh, move, bring a hurricane, a complete unprecedented hurricane to Houston, which is 30 miles inland. I, I lived in Houston. I was never afraid of a hurricane. And then they, even with Rita, which was right after Katrina, people were evacuating like crazy. They're like, get your children out of here. Fill up the tub with water. I'm like, I have three kids in diapers. I'm not filling a tub with water and leaving it there. You know, that you, thanks for taking all the formula and leaving town but nothing's going to happen. I called my builder. It's like, how many miles an hour do these winds have to be to knock my house over? And then later, I think it was Harvey or something did like, I don't need, I bet the pictures were exaggerated, but it dumped all this water on there. And I'm like 30 miles inland. I'm from 17 miles in, in New York. They always tried to tell us there'd be a hurricane never happened. And now, and you know, they can see clouds. They're now admitting that there are weather modification programs all over the world. So they are controlling the weather. They are absolutely doing that. They admit it. I just saw a, a news report from Sacramento that showed how they're doing it, why, when. They're rolling this out so that we accept it and they're going to blame climate change. But what they're not saying is that they've been doing it all along. And that's why you feel climate change in your day to day. But they're arranging it. But I feel like they're arranging it not only for that to give val- validity to their claims of climate change. But I think that they're doing a bunch of things that are really damaging to us. All I think all as an attack on our autonomy so that you can't grow your own food, that you're dependent on them and their grid, that you're shut down, you can't move around as much. I think that's the next phase. I think when they wanted to build out the system, they wanted us to have airfare. They wanted us to have smartphones, which hyper fast communication. They wanted us to be super, super productive. And I think now they're ready to enter a kind of mature, like if you think of a con or industry or companies or whatever as being like then the cash cow phase and then maybe the liquidation phase. 
I think they're ready to just like we're on automatic pilot. They can replace anybody they really need to, or a lot of people with robots and you reduce the population easier to count on. I, my only wild card there is I do feel like I, 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 I'm beginning to think that it's possible that the West and the East or Russia and China versus the West are not fully aligned in that it seems like the West is really attacking fossil fuels and that China, which is an industrial powerhouse and Russia, which is a resource center supplier, they, they reducing the use of fossil fuels, this climate change agenda won't be good for them and their emergence as the new kind of world hegemonic axis or whatever you want to call it. You know, are they really are, is it an East versus West thing? Is that real or are, I think I'm starting to think it is, but I used to think that they were just playing a game that, you know, the Rockefellers put all these people in China and Putin was appointed by Yeltsin and he talks to Klaus and shows up at Davos. I go back and forth on it, but I'm starting to, I'm leaning a little bit more towards they are playing a game that works, you know, they're, Putin's not going to out ISIS when he wants to use it as an excuse, even if he knows it's bull. He's, you know, they're not going to out these things. They're going to use these things, but maybe there is a, a power struggle going on there, or they've agreed to just divide the world in two, which is what an oligopoly would do. Yeah, I wonder if they just get together and say, okay, you're going to be the bad guy this time, and uh, we're going to start all this nonsense around uh, Russia's going to invade Ukraine, if they just have it all planned out, or if there is legitimacy, uh, like you said, this power struggle uh, between the East and the West. It's very interesting to see what's going on. now. Before- what do you think? Well, oh, man, sorry, I, I, I go back and forth just like you. Yeah, I have yeah, okay. no idea. Uh, I, I'm just going to stick with it's a big game for right now. That's my opinion on it, that they that they kind of know what each other's doing and all buddies and patting each other on the asses behind the scenes. But that's just my opinion. What do you think, Corey? Well, uh, let me just comment real quick that um, I'm not worried about climate change because uh, Bill Gates is going to throw some dirt into the sky and block the sun. So we don't have to worry about that, right? What could go wrong? <laughs> um, anybody, uh, anybody wants to see how that's going to turn out? Just go watch Highlander 2, the or movie Snow Highlander Pearson. 2. Snow oh, yes, yes. That's ex- it was exactly the same thing. Um, but no, this is a global plot to take over the world. It's been in, in effect for over 100 years, and we are seeing the modern iteration of it. Um, but like we'd already discussed, the propaganda is failing. They're not able to maintain these narratives. Uh, the digital age really screwed these people. So I'm a full-time Kennedy researcher. I'm writing my book on Kennedy now. And, uh, basically back then you had three news outlets, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then you had local affiliates of all these. And so um, when Mockingbird came around in the fifties, it was real easy to scoop up all three of these companies. And then the trickle down effect kind of took over everything else. But information would come out and they didn't perceive the the concept of the Internet. It was not even a a, a distant thought in anyone's mind. So they knew that they could easily manipulate documents. They could easily manipulate the newspapers and the television news media. Um, But they didn't realize that 50, 60 years later, we'd be able to look back at all that stuff using this new technology. And so it's this new technology of the Internet and the digital age that is kind of we're able to debunk these people in real time. So, so you think that DARPA created the internet and didn't understand what they were unleashing? That's always how it is. That's always how it is. Like, let me oh, give see, you another I example. With that. Um, let, let me give you another example. Like so um, Oliver Stone came out with his JFK film in 1991. Okay. 
that movie was produced by Arnon Milchan. Arnon Milchan was a Mossad spy who was engaged in the smuggling of nuclear triggers out of the U.S., okay? After he left that position in the Mossad, he went to Hollywood, bankrolled a whole bunch of films. He's a lifelong Mossad guy. Um, but in putting that movie out, which was meant to really, the movie is horrible from a historic perspective. It, it gets people spinning in all kinds of crazy directions that are completely irrelevant. Um, but that movie prompted the JFK Records Act which then led to the release of millions of pages of documents, which has allowed people like me to dig into the story and figure out what really happened. And so, yes, their, their, their actions always have an equal and opposite reaction. And so, uh, however, if it wasn't DARPA, it would have been someone else who created the internet because the idea of linking two computers is kind of common. And then the ability to link it to even more, I think it would have been a natural evolution anyway. So. I do feel like the internet was a limited hangout in that it brought, it got people like me and my generation. I don't know if you got like, I remember the first time I saw the internet, there was not much on it in 1995. And I just, so then there was a lot on it and I could figure stuff out like crazy. I really, really understood everything. I could find the answer to any MH370, the Boston Marathon bombing. Probably don't even know who Miriam Carey is, but I know I think she had Obama's baby. Like I just, I could figure so much stuff out. And then I remember the day it closed, which was February 14th, 2018, the Parkland shooting, like they closed it. And I, I had before that, even I started saying like the internet is a limited hangout and it's working the way the blue laws works for movie theaters. So towns, good, good little towns and rural communities, whatever, would not allow movie theaters in. They just didn't want them. And so that's when the Hollywood decided to put the blue laws so that there would be censorship and you could trust to have a movie in your town because they wouldn't have, you know, it would be wholesome. And, and they were wholesome for a really long time and it got it to absolutely infiltrate everything. And then they stop being wholesome and they corrupt everything. And I feel like that's the way it is with the internet in that I am totally eyes wide open. I'm a remnant that they can tolerate my mom's Fox news, but my daughter's TikTok, And she's not, she's, she doesn't really, not only does she not actually know about what's really going on, she doesn't want to know. She's like, that is, I will have no friends if I think like you. And I think that's, you know, I think they understand the psychology of teenagers and I'm hoping that I've given her enough uh, the skills to think and I'm pretty confident she's going to come out of that trance, but it really it does so much damage that if they couldn't plan it better, in my opinion. Well, uh, the Internet has definitely been weaponized to the extent where it is changing you know the younger generation's emotional and mental states and what their uh, potential is for their own lives and we're seeing this kind of uh, push for everyone to jump into the metaverse a digital world where the everything is just material you're plugged into technology you don't have to worry about your real life anymore and you can be whatever you want you can be a dog a cat a, a, a centaur and you're you're living digitally and that's I what the, it seems to be the the one of those agendas along with this trifecta I would love to interject one thing. I don't want to get you derailed, but I was just reading a sci-fi book. I rarely find a new one of any worth. And this one is called Rosewater. It was pretty good and it involved a pandemic, but 
of an alien nature. But anyway, so the guy was, they were fully immersed in the, in the metaverse. It was like 30 years from now. And he discovered he was archiving. He was doing some forensic analysis like Corey does. And he was going through the old records and he found a resource that was kind of digging into the deeper history. And it was like on the internet, not in the metaverse. And he called that guy. He said, oh, he's a, he's a flat earther. And it just blew my mind. Like the flat earth thing is being set up as an archetype to stigmatize people who don't fully embrace the metaverse. That's a theory anyway. It's a what to watch out for. Man, that is interesting. Uh, it, I, I want to get to um, go back to the, the Ukraine and Russia thing. And you were kind of starting to explain what you really think is behind everything. Uh, and you're not sure if it's uh, actually an East versus West thing or if these guys are all kind of patting each other behind closed doors. Uh, let's get deeper into that. What do you think is behind this whole Ukraine situation? Well, it's one of those things where what you see is what you get, which I rarely think is true. I knew enough about it. It's like the moon landing. I, I can't, I don't, it's hard to verify that stuff, like the Van Allen radiation belts, but with the Ukraine thing, when it started in 2014, I was on the radio and because I had the callers, I was really, really committed to every, knowing every detail, being able to answer every question. People were tr would try to like attack me because I was libertarian and not conservative. So I went the extra mile and I really uh, immersed myself in that. And I, so I had all the Victoria Newland calls, Jeffrey Pye, Catherine Ashton, where they were plotting the coup against the democratically elected government in Ukraine back then, how um, they implemented laws that banned Russian, even though the people in the East had Russian as their first language. I knew that. I knew Crimea was basically a, a almost 100% turnout with almost 100%, you know, it was basically came down to 85% of voters actually voted to go with Russia out of Crimea they were basically Russian and Crimea was Russian. I knew it all and it broke my heart. There was one guy, Alexander Zakarshenko, who I think was maybe ended up being the president of Lugansk or Donetsk at one point. And he was a giga Chad. This guy was the, is like the only hero I could really identify as a hero, not my hero, but a hero. And they murdered him in a cowardly fashion by blowing up his cafe. All those thousands of people died in Donbass, the massacre in Odessa, snipers shooting both cops and protesters in the Maidan and then charging um, uh, the Yushchenko or whatever his name was, the president with murder. All of that stuff was an absolute abomination. And it was... Uh, cried out, you know, to Russia for justice. And for eight years, Putin did nothing. And I, I can't imagine that most Russians did not, were not happy. I, my heart bled for those people. And um, he, he kept trying to go the diplomatic path. And it was very clear if Russia decides to invade Ukraine, Ukraine's not going to win unless it goes nuclear from, you know, intercontinental stuff, I guess. I don't know. But I just felt like they were, uh, Putin was overly reserved. And then when he said like, this is it, no NATO, we need a security agreement, you're out of control. 
And we didn't do it. It was so clear that we were provoking him, that there was no choice, that he knew he was being painted into a corner and there was nothing he could do about it. He had to react. I feel like that about people who want to react to what's happening in this country. It's like they're goading you into reacting, but you got to react. What are you going to do at a certain point? You've got to defend your school. You've got to say things that don't sound nice. He had to do it. And um, and. And now they're using this as an excuse to build like NATO bases right on his border in every country, bring in Finland, bring in Sweden, like it's a party and they love it. You know, the powers that be just love what, what how they've transformed this um, resistance against the overtaking of Ukraine into an opportunity to bring up, build up NATO. But then um, it, so for me, everything about it makes sense on its face, but but the outcome will still play into the hands of the globalists, of the Great Reset. They don't care if they get a hot war or a cold war. It doesn't matter to them. They A hot war is great. It pisses away all that money. It blows up bombs. It increases debt everywhere. You have tons of reasons to have rationing, shortages, shutdowns, slowdowns. And then the flip side is a cold war just bifurcates the world. And if China wants to run the world, well, they just can't sell here. We don't have competition like that. And we don't have to buy Russia's oil. So even though we're inefficient and could not compete on the world market, we have our sphere of influence, which is very rich, rich enough for the thousand um, multi-billionaires who are behind all this to continue to dominate. And they don't care about people who look different probably anyway. They probably love dominating the West more than they would care about dominating the Asian continent. But um, so it all plays in and could... So I'm re that's why I'm beginning to think that it may be a real a real fight. But then you look at Sputnik V. People think it's Sputnik V. I think it's Sputnik V for vaccine. You look at the central bank digital currencies are coming down. You look at the real like those are the two worst thing. Like those are the two real like one's a biological control mechanism and the other is the um, commercial control mechanism. If they're all buying into that, what difference does it make to me if they're fighting at the top of who's going to really ultimately control it? If it's going to be two worlds or one world and they're going to be co-presidents or, you know, or they just murder each other like the Roman emperors for a while, like every, they, everyone died every other month. It didn't matter probably to the crumbling society. But uh, so I guess I used to think it was 100% totally controlled to the point where, you know, who's the head lizard person, I think is the queen of England. <laughs> but now I'm thinking that there may be not a difference in plan, but a dispute over who's going to run it. And when you have a struggle for power at the top like that, it actually gives the people and their consent some power. Like I always thought that about Europe. The, the fact that there was a church outside the kingdoms, unlike China, China had smarter people, better technology, but the kingdoms would, the empire, dynasty, whatever, would suppress the technology and it got away with it. And they didn't care what the people thought. The people didn't have the individual power. But when you were, uh, when the kings and the churches, church was, were having disputes, like the, the hearts and minds of the people really mattered. And you could, they maybe even knew that they could, that their allegiance had value and that then it was competed for. So it's possible that just having the competition at the top will slow them down. So you'll get a Ron Paul instead of a Trump again, maybe. And then I think in the very long term, you've got to just 
keep your seat and keep your soul. And I would try to avoid genetically mutating injections. Yeah, Just definitely <laughs> avoid the genetically mutating injections. <laughs> that or I you... think is the most important thing because if they sure. change humanity fundamentally, then maybe they they will find the soul gene and eradicate it. Hey, that that uh, leads us to something else I want to talk about. But uh, before we go there, Corey, anything? Yeah, so a couple things with Russia and the war. So if, if, if shit really heats up there, China will get involved. China and Russia, like they came out a year ago and said that they had their friendship knows no bounds was basically what they said after Xi Jinping met with Putin. And that's kind of obvious because they have a common enemy in the West. So if their shit really hits the fan, China's going to get involved and we're not going to win. I'm sorry. We can't win a war against Russia and China, period. We haven't we couldn't win a war against a bunch of Iraqis or a bunch of Vietnamese in the fucking jungle. You really think that we can defeat China and Russia together? No, no possibility. Um, but another thing, as far as Putin goes, you really think he doesn't know what happened on 9-11? Of course he does. You think that he doesn't know what happened with all these other bullshit conspiracies? Of course he does. That has to be political leverage that he holds over our head. Um, like, uh, and as far as the moon landing goes, like, then there was that 1973 grain deal, right? Where we sold 25% of our grain and all of our food supply in America to Russia in 1973, the height of the Cold War, um, at a subsidized rate, meaning less than market value. Right. So I feel like the moon landing was used to leverage that deal for the Russians. So they definitely use uh, their knowledge to get what they want. But it's been 20 years. They've never come out and said what really happened on 9-11. They've never tried to hold that over our heads. But at some point in time, I just don't if push comes to shove, they're not going to have any choice. Right. Because that's that's information that's damning to everybody. You don't think that Putin can be bought? I don't think anything, it's not about money with him, not as far as I'm concerned. Um, if you really look into Putin, really study Putin, look what he did. He played he played coy with the, with the intelligence community before he got in. And once he got, we thought that he was our guy, right? So yes, we, yes. we made Putin, we put him in power. Yes. And as soon as he got in, he said, thanks, but no thanks. And fuck you. He took all control of the banks. He took control of the energy industry kicked out the old oligarchs half of them are still in exile you know so yeah he was not playing ball from day one that's the only example that i can really get behind where i think that it's a it our project went rogue that i do think that and you can look back i find i think of this that jfk from jfk to reagan those 18 years between jfk's assassination reagan getting shot was the transition where we went to an all puppet presidency. So JFK was definitely part of the establishment. Nixon, definitely part of it. Reagan, definitely part of it. Gerald Ford, obviously this magic bullet or whatever, he was in on that all along. But all four of those guys were were, uh, attacked, removed from office. JFK was shot to death, removed from office. Nixon, that was definitely a coup that removed him from office. They, they wanted to, to kill Nixon, but they, they knew they couldn't. They knew yeah, that it was too, too soon. Yeah. And so, I mean, Watergate is not what people think. Not Watergate yes. is about JFK. Watergate is about oh, JFK really? and a guy named Hank Greenspun. And it's a long story, but uh, Nixon was framed. It was a coup. I can't believe I'm sure. saying this. And oh, yeah. They took Spiro Agnew out on something unrelated. People must think that he went because of Watergate. No, I have his book. It's called Go Quietly or Else. That's the name of Spiro Agnew's book. And they shot Ford, they tried to shoot Ford, they shot Reagan. So the, my theory of that is that there was these, that that was the time where you would get your, your guy in office, but he was still a man. 
And then he thought, well, I'm president, so I have some say here. I have some preferences and I have a right to exercise those. And that 18 year period was when they made it so that anybody after that was complete puppet. There was absolutely no room, wiggle room. And if you did wiggle around, something bad would happen to you. And maybe Putin is in a, in that, in, you know, that's not true for Russia right now, that, that he's still one of those guys who got in like JFK or Nixon or any of those guys and is still a man and has preferences and is smart enough or um, has, I mean, I think you have to have the loyalty of the intelligence community in your country if you're going to get away with this, what he's doing. And that may be true. And that you've got to play, play certain games like the money game, the banker game, and maybe even the digital and the big pharma game. It's possible. I mean, he's not, he isn't the autocrat that they want us to think he is. So maybe he plays those games for the, that reason. That would be good. I mean, or, you know, or not like, I, I think any resistance, anything that slows down the machine, any wrench in the gears, it would be good. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's always confusing to me. I, I go back and forth, like I said, on these guys, uh, whether they're part of the, the same team or their own man, who knows. Um, but I want to get back to uh, what we're talking about with, you, you mentioned, you know, changing your biology with the vaccine and the nefarious things behind that. And there have been plenty of evidence that, uh, you know, since we've been finding out the nefarious nature of the pharmaceutical industry and our medical industry, that they are definitely not about the health of humans. In fact, they are probably trying to get rid of a lot of us with uh, depopulation agendas mixed in with everything that's going. Uh, do you see that as what's kind of behind this vaccination and everything is to kind of thin the herd or at least keep everyone at a certain level of unhealthiness? Absolutely. Both of those things. So the I do believe that everything from the food supply to the medical system is there to make us sicker and not well. And when you look at food supply, when you look at the um, supply chain, the electricity grid, all this stuff that they're telling us is breaking down, I completely don't believe that. I think we have, I mean, look at airplanes and this will probably change real soon, but for 10 years, 15 years, there has not been a, a there's been a couple, but I, those are exceptions and I could get into them, but I won't. But for my purposes, there has been not a single fatality in a US run commercial jet in whatever, 15 years, something like that. And that's a government run agency and it's complicated, it's inefficient, whatever, but it has redundancies in it and it does not fail in the one thing it cares about. So I believe that that's true for everything. They're deliberately undermining the electrical grid. And so I think they are deliberately undermining our health. I think we've gotten to a perfect health you know, we could live in perfect health. And then they don't like that, not because the earth could not sustain. I think that right now under current technology, I think it's like a 14 billion person earth that we could sustain. So we're never going to reach that, I don't think, but naturally even. However, I think that they have spent, I think they've done a couple of things with this COVID um, and just generally birth control and encouraging people not to breed. And I think uh, very high taxes is a part of population control. Like Europeans, like they don't like to have children. I think it's because they really don't have any extra money. I mean, that was just my casual observation when I was over there. And I see that happening here now. 
So they've gotten into their heads of the women that they, you know, maybe it's the middle-class white women or whatever. I always think of it as the the bourgeois, whatever was the threat in the French Revolution, like whatever class that is, the biggest threat to them, they don't like it. And that's the class that's getting attacked by vaccines and all of that. So, or who's most susceptible to embracing the vaccine. So they've already gotten like birth rates way down. And now with COVID, they are culling the herd of all the sick and old. Like it's amazing how well they designed this thing to kill undetected anybody who had any kind of underlying weakness. So they're getting rid of like the dead weight that way. But I have to believe that just from personal experience and other people I know, and also the reports that there is a real reproductive impact of the vaccines and they know it. And we can't possibly see that happening yet. If it's, they only gave Pfizer, they gave them to the teenagers and uh, they mandated it. And so like kids are in school, people can quit their jobs. You don't have to go to college, but when they started giving it to like 12 to 17 year olds, that's an entire generation that has gotten this shot. And I feel like all of that is going to come together and that there is a massive, um, devastating population bust in our future to the point where I think they're already, because it's like the Titanic or great big ship, like it's, it takes like a generation to move that again, they're already preparing for that. And I think they're going to get their minds around the population bust. That's why they lifted the rules in China. They probably anticipated a big bust and said, okay, we can't have the one child thing anymore. Um, I think the population bust is going to be devastating in itself just, uh, and that's will usher in the, the robots and, you know, the last stand for just not having enough workers for the old people. Uh, so I think that, that, that we've gotten the bust and they're already going to start turning it around because it takes so long. Now, something else along those same lines, you actually did a podcast on it recently, is the the drug overdose epidemic that yes. we're seeing and the amount of depression and mental illness that sprung up since the whole COVID nonsense. And it makes me wonder, what is it? Is it the, the depression behind COVID? Is it the lockdowns? Is it the fentanyl that's being distributed all over the country now? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I actually don't believe the official narratives on the suicides or the drug overdoses. They want to point to mental health. That thing in the subway in New York was all about uh, the guy supposedly, you know what I'm talking about? The guy went, um, did he shoot people? He Mm. threw a bomb or something. I don't know. A bunch of people supposedly died in the subway in New York. When you really look at the images, the movies, it looks like it was staged, but the but the point is that he said there's too much crime in the subways and mental health's an issue. So what does the mayor come out? Do the exact opposite of what you would ever do for terrorist or hostage taker. And he says, we got to deal with these issues of uh, crime in the subway and mental health. So we're going to send down teams of four, two cops, a social worker and a clinician to find mental health patients in the subways, the homeless people. And I mean, literally, I feel like they're just trawling the subways to find 
the uh, customers for the mental health programs, the systems, and that they're using their social media and stuff like that. They're using what's happening to these kids. They're using lockdown to literally the way they make people sick with the industrial food. They're trying to make people sick mentally. But in those two specifics with these suicides, all these young women committing suicide, putting notes out there that romanticize it, that say things like, I just want to be with God, like things that are just awful. I just, I, I'm, it's, a, it shocks my conscience how they're treating the suicide stuff. And I sincerely doubt, I sincerely doubt. And I mean, you can call me rude, but I sincerely doubt that those stories are all true. I think that there's not, why has there been not one celebrity, not one college athlete, young woman here who's been identified as having died from uh, a complication from the vaccine. Not one. That's not, that does not even consistent with the, with the trials themselves. Well, I mean, they will say that it is, but I think we all know there's going to be somebody who's victim yet. Naomi Judd and um, Katie Myers, like all these people who are listed as suicides, you know, maybe true, but if, I would think that during lockdown was when that thing would have peaked and I can't help but feel like they're rolling this out. I think it, I think it has been proven that the more you raise awareness to suicide, the more suicide goes up. So I feel like this is a terrible thing. Really, it upsets me. That one really upsets me. It's a terrible thing. And again, it attacks young women. And, um, and then the fentanyl, I, that's what I did the show on was my sister died of a fentanyl overdose in 2017. And this was after this was 2013, I think was the first reported cases. And she wasn't a fentanyl addict. She was a heroin addict and which a lifestyle she would not have been able to maintain without a lot of government support. And maybe someday I'll tell her whole story. It was uh, very facilitated by the government to the point where I realized that it is a government program to have junkies, a lot of junkies, to have an industry around this, to have them justify our taxes and ruin our lives and families and stuff like that. It's really terrible. But she died of fentanyl overdose. Um, and, and that was in 2017, which is only like halfway there. So when I pulled out the numbers in this article, and I thought it was very suspicious, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article, that they didn't like show the chart from the CDC. There were nine charts from the CDC. They showed a picture of a laptop that had the chart on it. So the chart was a screenshot. And I was like, I can, and I looked closely. I was like, oh, I can find that. And I went and I looked it up and it was nine charts. And after you get a few in, you see that it's like the, the bars that show that it's going up like this. And then these little squiggly lines that show, well, these are females, these are males, these are heroin, this is cocaine. And then the fentanyl one was like just a hockey stick. It was a freaking hockey stick. Absolutely, Carly, nothing else went straight up like that. And if you pull the numbers out, I mean, I concluded that basically it's 100% fentanyl. Now, if they were, what they were showing us were drug users going up, drug use going up, that I could... I would then I would look at that as correlating with a cultural phenomenon, a, a social phenomenon, COVID. But instead, it was uh, when they just talked about the deaths and they and every headline said because of COVID, because of lockdown, deaths are up. Now, mm. that doesn't make sense. So or that, that's not exactly relevant. And the deaths, I say you could pull out the fentanyl and then the deaths would not have gone up. But but my I absolutely must figure out what 
that moment was when all of a sudden fentanyl started popping up in street drugs. It just started. The retailers are not aware of it. And I'm sure because my sister had a very good relationship with her drug dealer who loved her and would not have wanted to kill her. You know, I mean, she was feeding his family <laughs> and uh, and this and I and I think it's probably DEA in Mexico stuff, I think. But um, that was just a thread I'm going to have to pull on when I when I well, learn how to penetrate the deep webs. The, uh, the U.S. government controls the global drug trade. Uh, I mean, this is easily traceable all the way back to Arnold Rothstein in the 1920s when heroin became illegal here. And Arnold Rothstein had set up relationships with Chiang Kai-shek in China. And then the, you know, the pre-OSS intelligence, like the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, wanted to get inroads in China. And so they went through Arnold Rothstein to establish the relationships between the federal government and the opium growers in in China. And then you can trace it back to like Saigon 1966. Ted Shackley ran the heroin production uh, out of Saigon, which was all manufactured in a Pepsi bottling company uh, manufacturing plant that never produced a single bottle of Pepsi. Um, and so, and then you can trace into the 1970s where the Galen organization, who was the remnants of the Nazis, who were working with the CIA and the, and the Israelis, they. Oh, like the Gladio stuff? All connected to it, but not exactly. But the Galen organization established the Escobar cartel in, uh, where was that, down in Colombia. So yes, all of the drugs for the last hundred years have been set up, established, distributed by the U.S. government. So it's- Well, they're killing people with it. And and that's, see, that's another thing, like the suicide, like that just really steps over the line. It's not just money or creating an underclass, it's murder. And they don't care. And and that's that is probably the biggest thing that's come out of this COVID thing. I remember 9-11 when I realized the analogy is either a black mass. I was like, this just seems like evil black mass or Dick Cheney sitting there saying, well, I could start a war and I could draft guys and I could kill 3000 unwilling participants that way. Or I can draft those 3000 people right there and, um, you know, say keep. <laughs> keep America safe for, you know, whatever, safe from Middle Easters. So I feel like there they were willing to kill people. I knew that. But this indiscriminate widespread killing where it it speaks to like when I, I saw a woman and I was really convinced by her and I'm still totally convinced talking about her experience at a human hunting party when she was a kid. And I guess her parents were involved in some secret society. So there were bishops there, heads of state. And it was very, very, it was the most convincing I ever saw a narrative like that. And she said, like, if you couldn't participate, they would kill you. And that's how they weeded you out. And then they had the blackmail on you and all that. Um, and that they, so they, so I started to think like these were their own children involved in this in some cases. And I thought, and I've heard, I've heard stories like that before. When you think of Hinckley who shot, um, Ronald Reagan, they kind of, he was a sacrificial lamb from the family probably because he had mental problems. And so I feel like they are willing to sacrifice their own a lot of times. Like I've heard many arguments like that. So when you see something that is like the vaccines, you think, well, how do they protect their own people from it? And, and unless you're close enough for them to give you the heads up or get you a false shot, or maybe there is one that really isn't bad that you could get if you're in a foreign country and shed off to wherever. I don't know, but they, I think they are willing to kill a lot of people indiscriminately. And I mean, that it's hard for me to conceive of that as simply greed or power or lust. Like the, the three things that I think really motivate 
I mean, it goes beyond, it goes to, you know, cause I think about the magic thing, black magic or whatever, the magic with the K, whatever they engaged in, you see evidence of it. And I wonder if it's a ritual to get people to believe in their power, or if it's a ritual that they believe really yields power. And I mean, this really feels like evil. There's definitely a hundred percent a ritual aspect to it. And I proved it in Kennedy. Um, I found it in Kennedy in Dealey Plaza, people in ceremonial outfits. Uh, oh, so, really? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Can't wait. Um, but yeah, the same thing with 9 11 on a larger scale. And it goes back to the three pillars and the crown. Uh, it's like Freemason stuff, but it goes way back before the Freemasons. Um, so you have three towers that fell in the Pentagon. It represents the three pillars yes. and the crown. So uh, same thing in Dealey Plaza. Um, Dealey Plaza, you had three murders. You had Kennedy, you had Tippett, and then you had Oswald, the three pillars once again. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild stuff. Yeah, it seems like we're going like off this weird playbook from the book of Revelations. We're trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. And speaking of that, what do you think about Elon Musk? Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a candidate for me as far as uh, the anti possible Antichrist, but I don't know. Yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts on this guy? People get mad when I'm like, there's no way he's not fake. The government funded him. <laughs> like, he's been put in place. Like, And uh, I tried to go back into his family history, and I couldn't really find too much. I know that there was a lot of stuff going on in South Africa. We never hear about that, but if you ever read the... Olaf Palm two volume thing from uh, Ole Hamagard. What is that his name? Shining Ole Dam- light. Ole Damagard. Yeah. Uh, Damagard. Yeah, I read that. I mean, I, I don't remember his name exactly, but I read both volumes of that book, and it was very dense. And I was surprised at how much South Africa played in. Like, you don't really think of them as a world player in that way, but I almost feel like it's like the Israeli Mossad thing. They had something like that going on there. Uh, Musk's father is very wheels off. I don't know if you like he fathered a child with his stepdaughter and um, he, there he is went another... on a, a Nephilim hunting expedition somewhere in Africa before. Oh, it's crazy really? Shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, so <laughs> I for, like you know, Nephilim bones and remains. I find that, uh, you know, sketchy. And the fact that Elon Musk d- did get the money a lot from the subsidized situation. But I the thing that that really makes me, you know, he's obviously a change agent or an agitator. And the fact that he was tweeting things about the that really messed with the market SEC wise and then lived to talk about it and lived to tweet again. That just in my experience, I mean, ask Martha Stewart like you just you don't get to laugh in their faces and 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 not get put down a little bit. I just I can't believe it. And Travis Kalanick, I found um, he was the Uber guy who they could not control. He if you I, I went back and kind of looked, I was like, why did they take this guy out? They clearly took this guy out. And I think I could trace it to when they started. He, he started Operation Grayball to to foil the government's efforts to use Uber for surveillance of different kinds. And it was then that they started agitating for his departure. And then he wouldn't go, wouldn't go, wouldn't go, wouldn't go, wouldn't go. And then his parents had a crazy, bizarre accident. His mother died. His father is lucky to survive. And then he did step down the next day. So I feel like if you don't play ball, you do not you do not live to tell about it. And there's no way that he is isn't there for a reason. There's just no way. Yeah, he wants to put chips in people's brains, and he's wearing yes. jackets that say New World Order. So, you know, it's it's. I think it's all he's 
part of the the club. It's all a big game. Uh, but the Antichrist, I, I'm a little confused <laughs> by the fact that there are two popes right now. Yeah, I they both I'm wear sure white. Yeah, it is. That's interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Kind of weird. For so sure. I would look to Benedict to see if he says anything, but he doesn't. And that Archbishop Vigano, he, he it's like he's a Q guy almost like he says stuff that is very on point for me. But again, it's hard for me to believe that he's just laying it all out there. And then I start to wonder if I if I agree with absolutely everything this guy is saying, am I being fed a narrative too? that's like a third order narrative for people like me to to get caught on the flypaper? I don't know, but I just there is something about the the Pope situation. I mean, Pope Francis from the, from day one, as soon as he advocated redistribution of wealth by governments, which is stealing and killing at the same time. I was no Pope. I had never been able to find a Pope ever say that. As soon as he said that, I was like, this guy's different. Yeah. And I, I worry about that. Well, we definitely live in very important, fascinating, and sometimes terrifying times. Uh, Corey, you got anything before we close out today? Uh, no, uh, but I, I did see you guys on Red Pill 78 a couple weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I look forward to uh, checking out your show. Thanks, Corey. I look forward to checking out your show too. Yes. Absolutely. I have a, I'll send you some links, but I have a seven-hour presentation I gave on Kennedy. It's everything, top to bottom, and right it pretty on. much answers every question. If I had known that, I'd be driving to San Francisco today instead of flying. <laughs> yeah, there's some. Uh, it's it's epic. Uh, he's got a few presentations, and the book will be out soon. Well, Monica, thank you so much for coming on. This was fantastic. Before you leave, uh, let the audience know where they can find you, all your, your website, social, all that good stuff. Okay, thanks. Uh, so tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. I love to tweet. I end my day with tweeting every day. You can also message me and find uh, most of my material on my website, thepropreport.com, and you can get my new deep dives and also all the old drive time news blasts on the Propaganda Report podcast feed on your favorite podcasting channel. And of course, I love my Rockfin, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Awesome. And uh, Corey, we can find Understanding Propaganda on all podcast platforms and Rockfin as well, right? Yep. And you can find uh, all my other work at coreyhughes.org. Perfect. Uh, thank you again, Monica. We would have to definitely do this again in the future. This was awesome. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow.